Something I should share with you about today is that there are a few churches in our denomination, part of the four C's, that have put together a bit of a calendar. And there's about a handful of churches that are using this calendar to be praying for different churches in our denomination. And this week I got a few emails from them saying, hey, we're going to be praying for your church today in our worship service. And how can we be praying for you? And so please know that people are praying for us today. People pray for us every week, but specifically today there are people who are praying for you probably about right now in their worship service. And isn't that just an amazing thing? I remember talking to a missionary family. A missionary family, they were in Cambodia, I believe. They were part of a mission organization working in Cambodia. And what they said was, we always plan something big on our birthdays because we know that people remember us and pray for us on our birthdays. And so we plan some ministry that is a big, big ministry on our birthdays because we know that there are hundreds of people who may have our, our names on the refrigerator, may have our, our, a prayer card on the refrigerator, but probably forget us most days. But on our birthdays, they remember us and they pray for us. Now, that was a little sad to hear that they don't pray for them most of the time. But it's significant that when people pray, God can do amazing things and does. Well, today we're, we're looking at the second part of the Lord's Prayer. We've been working through a series here at Chalmers on prayer. And today is our last day on prayer. Next week, next week we are doing a special service on grief and hope. And this is a special service. I, I hope all of you can be part of it. But this is also a service where we're going to be having a little bit of time for testimonies. I've asked a few people to share, and if there's other people who are willing to share, please come and talk to me. We're wanting to hear those personal experiences of grief. Many of us, most of us, have experienced grief in some way in our lives. And how that grief can be hard, but how God is with us through that grief and how he brings us hope. So we're going to be looking at that next week. It's going to be a powerful, amazing week. Please come. But more than that, I want to invite you to be praying about who else you need to invite to that service next week. Maybe there's someone in your life who's going through a hard grieving time. Maybe there's someone in your life who has a relative, maybe, maybe themselves, who are palliative right now, and their clock is ticking down, and they need to hear about the hope of Jesus. I would love for you to bring a friend next week. This is going to be a great week, and I just want to invite you to, to be inviting others. We're going to be putting it up on Facebook, that kind of thing, but we, we've intentionally made this Sunday a Sunday that you can be inviting people who just need to hear about that hope in Jesus Christ. Okay? I'm going to pray one more time and then we're going to uh, dive into this. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your love and for your grace. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that you would loosen my tongue, that you would speak your words, and any words that are simply from me would go right over our heads, but that your truth would remain. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Last week we started the Lord's Prayer and we started by talking through the Lord's Prayer. The the Lord's Prayer, for those of you who don't know, is this prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples in Matthew 6. Jesus invites his disciples, his disciples ask Jesus, how should we pray? And this is an example that he gives them. And it's one that for many of us, if we've grown up in a church setting, you might have learned it, we might have memorized it. Starts with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. It's this beautiful prayer. It's a prayer that you may have prayed many times in your life. Last week, we kind of talked about how this is a beautiful prayer that Jesus gives to us to show us what are some of the things that we should be praying. But more than that, we want to be people who don't simply say a prayer in rote, say a prayer because we've memorized it. Even as I was saying, I was like, oh shoot, I hope I don't mess up. Everybody's just looking at me. I remember when I was in, uh, in seminary, I was studying and I was pulpit supplying, and I was at a church that said it every week, and I would have it on my page, so I could look down and be like, oh man, I know all these other people have it memorized, but I don't. But more than just having it memorized, and if you haven't memorized, that's great, but I want to invite you today to be thinking about what does it mean? Because my guess is that if you're like me, you have said the Lord's Prayer many, many times, and have not thought about what you've been praying most of those times. And I'm suggesting this because the ones that we're going to be looking at today, which is kind of the second half of the Lord's Prayer, is scary stuff. It's like one of those contracts that you read the fine print, and you go, man, what was I really signing? We need to be thinking about what we're praying And if we really thought about what we were praying, my guess is that most of us would not be so quick to simply say the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. For example, let's start with this one. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. What are we asking in that? We are asking God to give us what we need for today, what we need for today. I don't know about you, but I'm a control freak. I don't want what I need for today. I want to be set for life, right? I want the long-term plan. I have people that I've met who didn't have kids, thinking specifically of, of a single woman that I worked with a while back, and she told me that every day she goes grocery shopping. Every day she goes grocery shopping, and every single day she'll buy what she needs for dinner, for breakfast and for lunch that day. And then the next day she'll go and she'll buy what she needs for the next day. And I thought that was absolutely ridiculous. Now, I was a single guy back then, but I still had a whole fridge full of food. 
Now that I'm a, a married guy with three kids, we have a fridge full of food and a few pantries full of like non-perishables. We're set for Armageddon, folks. Like, I'm a control freak here. It's not a good thing. But she would just buy what she needed for that day. Now, I'm not saying that that's what you should do. But there's an interesting idea there, isn't there? If you compare her to me, where is the level of trust? I don't know. It makes me think back to in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were going through the wilderness. They had rebelled against God. They weren't able to go into the promised land, so they were going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. It's a long detour. They went into the wilderness for 40 years, and God provided for them. God provided for them by giving them this thing called manna. Now, manna, we don't know exactly what it was, but it's kind of described as this flaky white substance that kind of tastes a little honeyish. It has a bit of a sweet taste to it. And it would be found on the ground in the morning, almost like a dew, and people could collect it in the day, and they would eat it for the day, and the next morning, they would wake up, and this manna was on the ground again. And every single day that the, the people were in, in the wilderness, God provided this manna. Now, there was an interesting thing about this manna. The people who were like me would collect as much as they needed for the day, and then they would collect more than they needed, just in case... God didn't provide, right? They would collect more for tomorrow just in case the manna had run out. Maybe God went on vacation. Maybe he wasn't going to provide for them their daily bread. Maybe they, he was going to say, no, 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 you need to fend for yourself here. And what happens? Well, what we see in the Old Testament is that if anyone took more than they needed for the day, when they went and looked at what they had collected the day before, it had rotted. It was absolute garbage. It wasn't fit for anyone. God was providing their daily bread for what they needed that day. Now, here's, here's a question for you. When we pray, God, give us today our daily bread, are we actually willing to have just our daily bread? I probably eat more than my daily bread. And here in North America, we probably consume, whether it's through food or through production or through toys or through whatever it might be, much more than what we need. If we were really serious and we were saying, God, just give me what I need today, would we be content with that? I know for myself, I have a contentment issue. I'm discontent with just my daily bread. I want more. I want more than just what I need today. I want what I want for more of my life. I often talk to my kids it's funny, I talk to my kids about this, but I also deal with it myself. It's kind of how it works as a parent, right? 
I talk to my kids about the difference between needs and wants. You guys tracking with me on that? What you need, the roof over your head, sustenance for the day, clothes on your back, what you need versus what you want. The bigger house, the fancier car, the nicer clothes, all those kind of things. God tells us here to pray for our daily needs, the things that we need each and every day. He doesn't talk about the wants. He talks about the needs. And as a good heavenly father, he says, I will provide your needs. I wonder if that is because the wants in our lives often distract us from God. The wants in our lives often take the place of God in our lives. They don't have to. But if you're honest with yourselves, do the things that you want tend to take precedent over the one that you serve? God invites us to pray for our daily needs. Matthew 6, 25 and 20 to 27 says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Honestly, Jesus could have been saying this to me. Brian, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? It's profound thoughts, isn't it? The Apostle Paul, a follower of Jesus, says something very similar. In Philippians 4, 6-7, he says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we ask for what we need for the day, we give God the power to say, God, this is what I need just right now. I'm not worrying about tomorrow. I'm not worrying about 10 years from now. I'm not worrying about what will be. I'm going to trust you in those as well. But for right now, God, will you just take care of me today? And we're giving God the ability to provide what he promises to, to provide for our needs today. This is a hard prayer. It's not one that I want to pray. I want to pray, God, provide for me for the next 10 years. But he says, when you pray, pray this. Give us today our daily bread. As I've processed through this over the last probably six months or so, I have started adding this part. I don't always say the Lord's Prayer in its entirety, But I've started adding this part to a lot of my prayers, especially when I pray for someone else. If someone comes to me and they're anxious or they're worried or they're they're upset about something that's going to be happening or, you know, 
they're looking after kids or they're looking after a business or they're, they're having to make this big decision. One of the things that I pray is, God, give them their daily bread today. Whatever they need to get through today, will you give them that? And then tomorrow, we'll pray the same thing. God, give me whatever I need to get through today. If it's wisdom, then give me wisdom. If it's patience, then give me patience. If it's love, then give me love. Parents, this is an important prayer. Especially if you got little kids running around and you're like, how am I going to get through this week? Don't worry about getting through the week. God, give me what I need for today. I've never been to an AA meeting before, but I have lots of friends who have. And they talk about how when you're in an AA meeting or an NA meeting or uh, one of those control freak meetings, we're going to start one, Barbara. I guess it's not anonymous anymore. <laughs> but they, they talk about, it's not about trying to win the victory in your life. It's about trying to win the victory of today. And saying, today, I'm not going to drink alcohol. And then tomorrow, I'll make that same decision. The next day, I'll make that same decision, but I'm going to make it little steps at a time. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Yeah. One bite at a time. Lord, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. You think that one's hard? It is. Guess what? The next one's even harder. Right? Listen to this one. And forgive us our debts. We'd like to stop there, right? Maybe you pause there when, when you say it out loud. Forgive us our debts, and then you, you know, <clears throat> I, I, have to, I have to cough while everyone else says the next part. But Jesus prayed it this way. Forgive us our debts, or forgive us our sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors, or as we also have forgiven our, our sinners. We are asking God, we are asking God in this prayer, probably the most dangerous thing we could ever ask God. And by his grace, I hope that he doesn't answer your prayer in this. But we are asking God to forgive us as we forgive others. Let me say this a different way. We are asking God that in the same way that we forgive someone, God, may you forgive someone. May you forgive us. How many times have we prayed this prayer while at the same time being angry or bitter or annoyed or frustrated or unforgiving to someone in our life? God, forgive me as I forgive others, except for this person who just really doesn't deserve it. Right? We are asking God to forgive us in the same way that we would forgive others. This is scary. In Matthew 18, there's a parable that Jesus tells. Let me actually just read it for you. 
Peter comes to Jesus and he asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now let me give you a little bit of background here. This is powerful. The, the major religious leaders of the day had different camps. And they would have different kind of standards on different rules. Right? And so some of them would say, you know what? You need to forgive someone three times. Even if they sin against you, you have to forgive them again and again and once more. Three times. And then you can cut them off. Then you don't have to forgive them anymore. Others would say, you know what? You need to forgive them four times. Others would say, no, no, no. You forgive them once, then that's it. There's one freebie. That's it. And so Peter, he's coming to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, you have some radical teachings here. How many times do I forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven times? Like, I'm giving you the big number here. This is bigger than anyone else, anyone else would say. Up to seven times? And Jesus says this, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven, depends on how you translate it. I'd go with the bigger one. Then he says this, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle the accounts with his servants, his debts. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. I don't care if that's like little satchels of gold or big things of gold. 10,000 bags of gold is a lot of debt. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell to his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will repay everything I owe. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Let me just put this into terms that we might be able to understand because most of us don't carry around bags of cold, okay? <clears throat> so imagine, I don't know what your house is worth, Imagine that you have a half a million dollars in mortgage right now, okay? Imagine that you have about a half a million dollars, $500,000 of a mortgage. And the bank comes to you and says, pay up. I know you still have 25 years, but I'm calling in the debt and I need it now. And you fall to your knees and you say, Bank, I can't pay you back, but be patient with me, and I will. And here's where it almost sounds like a fairy tale, because banks wouldn't do this. <laughs> but the bank takes pity on you and cancels the debt and lets you go. How would you feel? Like, right? Like, how, whew, yeah. How would you feel? Some of you are going, oh, Brian, I'm praying for that tonight. <laughs> this is beyond anything you could imagine. You don't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You knew you were getting into debt. You knew you were going to have to take most of your life to pay it off. 
You've been paying little bits by little bits by little bits. That bottom line's not getting any smaller. And now, in sheer grace, it's canceled. And we heard, just even now, the sigh of relief, the, it's too good to be true. I saw the smiles on your face. This would be amazing. Let's go back to the story for a minute. But then that servant went out, the one that had owed all that money. So then you went out. And you found one of your fellow servants. Look to your left, look to your right. Who owed you a hundred silver coins. A couple hundred bucks. And you grab him and you choke him. And you yell, pay back what you owe me. And your fellow servant falls to his knees and begs you, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But you refuse. Instead, you go off and you have that man thrown into prison until he could pay you just that hundred dollars. Well, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told your master everything that had happened. And then the master called you in. And he said to you, you wicked servant, I have canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And it ends in this horrible way. This is how your heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The Bible is not something that you should read to your kids for bedtime stories. There is scary stuff in here. And this is one. Jesus is very adamant. We need to be forgiving others. We need to be forgiving others. And in a way that we do not understand yet, there is a connection in the spiritual realm between the way that we forgive other people and the way that God forgives us. And that is terrifying. Because I know that there have been times in my life where I have held on to bitterness, where I have held on to hate, where I have held on to anger against someone that I just was not willing to forgive. And yet at the same time, I expected God to forgive me. In Colossians 3.13, Paul switches it up a little bit. Listen to what he says. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone. So we need to forgive. Again, you can't read scripture and say, I don't have to forgive. You can't read it and believe it and yet say, I'm not going to forgive. But here's what he says. Forgive 
as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And here's the beautiful thing. Before we knew that we needed forgiveness, before we knew that we owed $500,000, before we knew that our debt was so high, God forgave us. He already forgave us on the cross. Jesus went to the cross. He died for our sins so that we could be forgiven before we asked for it. We didn't have to go on our knees and say, God, forgive me. He was forgiving us on the cross. And now we go on our knees and we say, God, thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. But now that we have been forgiven, now that we have been forgiven, we need to forgive others. Or we don't actually understand what it meant to be forgiven. If we're now not willing to forgive others, can we really say that we have accepted God's forgiveness? That we've understood the magnitude of his grace. It would be like being forgiven $500,000 of debt and yet being petty enough to say, I want that $200. We forgive as we have been forgiven. This third part's kind of interesting. We're getting to the end of the prayer. Jesus then says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or deliver us from the evil one, depending on what your translation, how it translates it. There's a couple things here I want to say. First of all, the translation that is often used in most texts and in most of our Lord's prayers is kind of a challenging one in in this way. When we say lead us not into temptation, God doesn't actually tempt us. God doesn't lead us into temptation. The actual word that is uh, used there is much better translated as test. It's the same word in the original Greek, which is in in the beginning of the gospel when Jesus is led into the desert by the Holy Spirit to be tested. God is testing Jesus. He is purifying our faith, and he can do that. And then the devil comes and tempts. But God doesn't tempt us. God doesn't hang something on us and say, hey, you should eat this carrot. That's the devil, not God. And this is an important factor to understand. Because we are in a spiritual battle. Deliver us from the evil one is a very significant prayer. We are in a spiritual battle, and we have an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but you might be feeling that someone is trying to kill, steal, and destroy right now. That's the devil. 
He's wanting to distract you. He's wanting to turn your attention away. He's wanting to harass you. He's wanting to destroy you. He's wanting to steal your joy and your love and your grace. And in this prayer, Jesus reminds us, just as we were reminded a few minutes ago, that we are small, but that we serve a big God. That we might be small, but that we serve a big God. And the one that we can call on is much more powerful than this evil one. Scripture tells us that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. It's interesting that they call him a roaring lion. He's not a pouncing lion. He's a roaring lion. His power is in his voice. The devil's power is in his voice. And if we can understand that, we can know that, in fact, he is actually very powerless unless we give him power. The devil's power is in his voice. He will tempt you. He will lead you. He will put thoughts into your mind, whatever that temptation is. And you know what it is. And the devil knows what it is. That thing that you trip up on each and every time. That stumbling block that you hate. And yet it seems to come up time and time and time again. And it will be different for many of us. But you know it. And it is the temptation of the devil. And Jesus invites us to pray to the one who can protect us from stumbling. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, this is a powerful prayer. Because I wanted to say, whatever that rock is, whatever that stumbling block is for you, and you know what it is, you can probably picture it right now. And at this very moment, you're probably thinking to yourself, I am the only one in all of history who has ever stumbled on this before. Right? And if the person beside me knew the name of that rock, if the person beside me knew what I kept stumbling on, oh man, they would just think that I'm the worst sinner in the world. Let me read to you what God's word says. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Let me say that again. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Let me say that one more time. How much temptation? No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Pause for a second. That rock has made other people stumble. That stone has made other people fall. That thing that you think is so unique to you is not unique at all. There have been many people 
who have had the same temptation as you have. Can I tell you something? The devil is not creative. He is so uncreative. He's been using the same temptations for centuries now. He changes them up from time to time. He uses new technology from time to time. He paints some new colors from time to time. But they're the same temptations. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. You are not alone in this. This is not new. Sorry if you thought you were a precious snowflake. You're not. I'm sorry you're not. Because it's not about you. It's about the one who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will use whatever it is that he can to do that. But listen, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Let me say that again. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now let me just be very clear. What is that scripture saying? The scripture is saying this. When you get to that rock in your road, when you get to that temptation that has stumbled you in the past, God can provide a way for you to overcome it. God can keep your feet from stumbling. God is powerful enough when we call upon him to allow you to overcome that temptation. That is what God can do. And yes, there are things that we need to do in that as well. We have to jump over or step over that rock and keep going. We need to allow God to give us that power to get over the rock. And that might be hard for a few minutes. That might be hard for a season. But God allows, gives us the power to overcome that. Do you know what most of us do? We get to the rock in the road. We look at it. And we go, I'm never going to be able to get over it. Might as well fall down right now. That's what we do. We see the temptation there. And yet we say, I can't get over that. There's no way I can get over that. It's this big. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. We are in a spiritual battle, friends. And I don't want to make too much light of your temptation. I got my own. But God is faithful. And when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Friends, we need to mean it. We need to pray that not when we're saying, we're going to just give up on this temptation. We're going to fall down right now. We need to pray that when we say, God, I want to get over this temptation. I want to defeat this sin in my life. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
for those of us that grew up in Protestant churches, we had that tail end part, right? For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I said last week, I like that. I'm keeping that in my Lord's Prayer because it points us back to the one that the prayer is all about. The prayer is not about me. The prayer is about God. And we refocus, refocus on who God is. That your kingdom is powerful. That you are the one who has glory. That you are the one who reigns forever and ever. And so whether you are feeling right now that you don't have enough to get through today, whether you are feeling right now like the temptation in your life is too big, whether you are feeling right now like you can't take another step, God is big enough. God is big enough. We're coming up to Easter, friends. We're coming up to Easter, this time where we reflect on the cross and on the resurrection. And our God is big enough. Our God went to the cross for our sins. Our God took our debt on himself and he paid it in full. Our God was buried in a tomb and he was big enough that he didn't stay there. That he rose again to bring us hope and eternal life. Our God is big enough. Whatever you are going through today, whatever this season of your life looks like, I want to tell you, our God is big enough. He is big enough to get you through it. He is big enough to support you through it. He is big enough to overcome the mountains that are in your way. God is big enough. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you are big enough. That we serve a big God. That we serve one who hears our prayers and who answers in his love. That we serve a God that loved us so much that you were not willing for us to perish. That we serve a God so big that even death could not defeat you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.